read the scriptures today. Let's stand together as we honor the word as we look to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And I'm going to be uh, preaching from the 16th of John today. Tonight, uh, the emphasis will be on missions. And next Sunday, we uh, will focus our messages on the theme of missions, giving and going. But today, we're continuing with our series through the book of John. John chapter 16. I want to read verse 24. Uh, I mean, verse 6 down through verse 24, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 33, if you'd follow along there. John chapter 16, verse 6, and on down through there. Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again a little while ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but, there, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now down in verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Verse 24, the last part of it there said, 
that your joy may be full. And then in verse 22, the last line says, your joy no man taketh from you. I want to speak this morning about the joy nobody can rob away from you. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on the reading of the word. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We pray that you'd help us to understand that though the world's uh, going to uh, fling out uh, tribulation against the Christian who tries to live for God, we uh, know, Father, that we're not to expect anything more of the world than opposition. We know the world and the flesh and the devil work together to oppose the things that the Holy Spirit of God wants uh, accomplished in anyone's life. And so we pray, Father, that you'd help us not to be overcome of the world, not to be overcome of the hardships, not to be overcome of the troubles, tribulations, trials that uh, may be part of living life in this world. I just pray, Father, that you'd help us to see that there's a joy that we can have that no man can take away from us and a joy that can be full even when we are in difficult times in our lives. We ask that you bless the reading of thy word and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pella, no less. That's wonderful. Thank you, ladies. Laying all the burdens down one day. And uh, well, we're going to talk about uh, a time we, we do have some burdens and we're uh, having some tribulations in this world. But thank God we don't have to lay down the joy of the Lord. And so uh, go back to your Bibles in uh, John. 16 and John chapter 16, the joy that no man can take away from us. We Christians can, can be of good cheer when circumstances are cheerful, and that wasn't at all the situation here that we read about in the context of the passage we just read. There's less than 24 hours before the Lord Jesus is going to be brutally uh, nailed to the cross, and yet in the Circumstance like that coming up, the circumstances surrounding Jesus and the disciples, much different than our present circumstances today. Yet he spoke to them of a joy that none could take away. And he talked to them about being of good cheer. It didn't seem like a time where they should be of good cheer. It didn't seem possible that he could even bring up the subject of joy and cheer when less than 24 hours he would be brutally murdered and nailed to a cross, it just didn't seem, uh, it seems incongruous with the circumstances. And yet, uh, the Christian has that opportunity to have the, the joy of the Lord regardless of the trouble, regardless of the resistance from the world, regardless of the circumstances. And it's not about our efforts, you know, about trying to do something to make ourselves happy. It's not about our resolve to try to be joyful. It's not about that. It's the word that the Lord said here. It's his work. It's, he's, he's the one that said, I have overcome the world. And so um, it's not up to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read those words that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. A Christian never is robbed of that hope of glory, hope of uh, heaven. That Christian is never robbed of that sure and certain hope that we have that's different from the hope that the world has. You know, the world has a hope. I mean, they have the, they have the definition of hope, which is the one we commonly think of as hope. We, we hope this happens, or we hope I don't get an accident, or we hope I don't get cancer, I hope this, and I hope that. The world has that kind of hope. But the kind of hope that is referred to in the scripture is the kind that is sure and certain hope. And thank God we sorrow not as others who have no hope. Our call to be sober, to be vigilant, to be walking circumspectly, 
does not mean that we have to live our life with a gloomy and a foreboding aspect. Uh, we don't have to, uh, you know, go through life with a bitter uh, look upon our face because of the opposition that the world uh, has to offer to the, uh, to the Christian life and the Christian walk. That is not at all the way we should face our life. We ought to understand that God's desire for us is to be of good cheer and to understand that joy that no man could take away from us. And here in John 16, we find all that we need to be able to see that accomplished in our life. The first thing is this, though we face troubles, we need not be overcome by them because we have God's word on it. The first verse, we didn't read that, but look at the first verse in John 16. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. He said, I've given you the word, I've spoken these words to you, I've given you the Bible, I've given you the scriptures so that you won't be offended. And that we think of the word offended, you know, I say something mean to Brother Wilson and he gets offended at it, you know. Uh, that's not the way, the, that's not even the first definition of the word in the, if you've got a good dictionary, it's not even the first definition of the word. The first definition, the primary definition of the word offended in your dictionary is to stumble, to stumble, uh, to trip over something and stumble and fall. That's what he's saying to them. He said, I've given you the word so that you don't trip over something and stumble and fall. I've given you the word so that you're not tripping over what the world puts in, in your way and the tribulations and troubles that come. So we have that word of God to uh, be able to provide for us and to uh, give us that which we need to keep from being overcome, being tripped up by the world. Uh, by the wor world. And so we need to... We, we've got to be, you've got to be in the Word on, on a regular, consistent, and daily basis, my friend, if you're going to get going the way God wants you to go. And if you're going to keep going the way God wants you to keep going, you're going to need to be hearing from Him every day. The way that He talks to you is not through, you know, visions and dreams and revelations and circumstances and, you know, um, all those kinds of things. He's not going to speak to you by... Roll of the dice. We talked about the casting of lots in our Sunday school class today and uh, the roll of the dice. He's not going to speak to you about, uh, you know, where you should go by, you know, your, by the stars or the constellations and what position they're in in the house of Aquarius and all that. He's not going to guide you that way. He's going to guide you. He's going to help you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to lead you. He's going to strengthen you, establish you by your daily hearing from him in his word. And if you're a child of God, you've you got to make that a priority in your life to establish a habit of being daily in the Word of God. That's, that's the only way you're going to get it. It's the only way you're going to hear it. It's the only way you're going to understand it as a Christian. So that is essential to help you get going, to keep you going right. Uh, you, we realize and you realize that there are those that believe that believe that hindering Christians is the right thing to do. I mean, uh, in verse 2, we didn't read there, but look there. He said they, he's talking to his disciples. And he said, they shall put you out of the synagogues. He's speaking particularly there of the Jewish leadership there, the Hebrews and their hatred for uh, what Christ claimed and uh, who he was. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doth God service. And the time did come. Saul, before he was converted, the Apostle Paul, 
uh, said when he was given his testimony years later, he said, look, I had a zeal for God and I thought that God wanted me to kill Christians. And I did that. I, I really believed I was serving God by killing Christians. <laughs> so the, the extremist Muslim believes he's serving Allah by destroying Christians. And so certainly there are those that um, would fit this passage of Scripture very well even today. There are those that are that way. There are those that think hindering, hurting, harming Christians is, is the right thing to do. And so we just need to realize that that is a truth that we're going to be faced with. The disciples needed something more, though, than the physical presence of the Lord. They were all upset when he told them that the time was coming where he was going to depart from them. They were all upset and full of sorrow over that, that they were, uh, they were really uh, concerned for themselves. What will we do? Where will we go? How will we know? You know, and so all of these things were going through their mind, but they needed to recognize that uh, there was something they didn't understand at all yet. They thought to themselves, what could be better? And he's saying that, you know, there, there's going to be something better coming. And they said, what could be better than having the physical presence of the Lord right here with us? And we've thought that. We thought, man... If I, would, if I got to be with the disciples and was, is that not on? I have it on. It's, it's not working? Okay, all right, sorry about that. We got a glitch in the get along there. But, uh, uh, but anyway, we, we, uh, we, we're thinking, you know, what would be great for us to have the opportunity to be in the very presence of the, of the Lord and have him with us there and be able to fellowship with him and hear him, you know, right, right from his mouth hear words right from his mouth and ask him things and have fellowship with him. And that's what they thought. We want that. What could be better than the presence of the Lord? They didn't understand there is something better. There is something better. While they were present with the Lord physically, he could be with them in one place at one time. But he sent them out two by two. He sent the 70 out two by two to preach the gospel. He wasn't with them. He was someplace else. They were on their own, more or less. They had the Lord. They had the guidance of the Lord. They had the, the help of God, but they did not yet have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so here they were in the, the circumstances where Jesus was one place, they were another, and things came up that happened that they didn't know what to do with. People came to them with a, 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 a child was a, that was possessed of a devil, and they could not cast him out. And there was nothing they could do about it until they got back to the presence of Jesus. And Jesus uh, uh, dealt with it at that point, you know. But he said, I've got something better for you than my physical presence here. Uh, he said that the word that I have spoken unto you, that is going to be with you. You're going to remember that. It's going to be, it's going to be brought to your remembrance, verse 4. But these things I have told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And so uh, they're going to be able to be, bring back to remembrance words that he has spoken to them. Now all the word that they needed was not completed yet, as yet, but it is for us. And we've got the completed uh, work of the word of God here before us. So you're thinking, boy, if Jesus could be here, I could ask him. He is here and you can't ask him. 
<laughs> he is here and you can't ask him, but you've got something even better. You've got the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in you if you're a Christian. If you're saved here, you've got the interpreter of the word. You've got the inspirer of the word. You've got the giver of the word in your being, in your heart, in your life, in yourself. And walk alongside with you. So you have got a constant teacher, comfort, guide, and helper walking alongside with you every hour of every day, day and night, uh, without exception. And you have got a completed uh, revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ in your hand. You've got everything you need to know. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, the Bible says, is right here. It's right here. So you and I have something better. They didn't realize it, but they needed something better than just the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ there. Years ago, I don't remember how old Ryan was, uh, 10 or 11, I think, and the boys were out playing. Wendy was gone. I can't remember if she was uh, visiting her mom up in Oregon, but she wasn't someplace close by. I was down here uh, working at the church, and the boys were up uh, playing at the house, and they were horsing around and riding on their bikes and stuff. And Ryan did, did a, uh, a fall. He did a fake fall, you know, and he flopped out on the ground like this, you know. But as he flopped his hand over, uh, Garrett was riding along beside him with his bicycle, and he flopped his hand right into the chain and ran it around the sprocket and cut the end of his finger off. So, uh, uh, you know, and he, they were, they were, uh, he was bleeding all over, and the boys were panicked, and uh, they couldn't find us, and I wasn't home, and didn't, it was before cell phones, and so, uh, so he, uh, you know, he went and, and uh, just uh, put a put a towel around it and he was just going to walk down to the church and find me you know but uh, the neighbor lady uh, found him Connie brought him down and we took him to the hospital and and they uh, you know uh, sewed him back together again you know so uh, they took the you know shot needle and stuck it in the stub there and and uh, you know got the pain down and, and they began to sew him back together again he still got uh, kind of a crooked finger there as a result of that <laughs> but I couldn't be there I felt bad that you know nobody was was there right away and he had to you know uh, go find a neighbor to get him and of course it's not possible for us as parents to be all the time with our children and, and be there immediately when the need is but uh, there is one who is there uh, immediately when the need is and that's the difference between having Jesus physically there and having him there in the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so we are blessed in that way we can overcome the troubles we face because we have God's word on it. And then we can overcome the tribulations because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we have mentioned there, his primary work is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to bear witness of him as, as uh, verse 26 of the previous chapter declared to us. Uh, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father... Even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So that's his primary work, to bear witness of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, have, if you run into ministries that put all the emphasis and focus on the Holy Spirit, you need to recognize that that ministry is putting the emphasis in the wrong place. Because the Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to speak of myself. I'm going to bear witness of Jesus Christ. The emphasis, the focus is turned to Jesus Christ. Not the Holy Spirit, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so uh, Jesus, when he came, he, he glorified the Father. When the Holy Spirit came, he glorifies the Son, you see. And the focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the primary one, is to exalt the Son, to bear witness 
witness of Him. And then His work in the Christian today is to enable you and me to bear witness of the Father, of the Lord, of God, of the, uh, of the gospel, of the truth. He said in verse 27, And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have seen me from the beginning. Ye also shall bear witness. The Holy Spirit bearing witness, you bearing witness, the two of you working together are going to reach some people that need Jesus. And that's our responsibility as Christians. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit baptizes at our conversion when we come to Christ. You're baptized into Christ. You are placed into Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection becomes effectual for you. And you become cleansed by the, uh, by the work of Christ, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It occurs at the moment of salvation. He baptizes. He fills us with uh, His power, with His Spirit, His uh, his his uh, word he fills us and he fills us and fills us daily we need the filling of the spirit of God we need that you need to get the junk out so that the spirit of God can fill all the areas you know to fill your heart to fill your mind to fill your will to be able to fill you you need a, the junk out of the way and uh, get the junk out of the way and the Holy Spirit w- will fill and as a result of that will guide will empower believers But the Bible says something else about the Holy Spirit here that we read. He is our comforter, the capital C, our comforter. I like that, the idea of a comforter, you know. Uh, He's the one that's with you, that's in you, that comes alongside to help you when you face tribulation, when you face a trial, when you get the bad news, when you have the trouble, when uh, when there are issues in the family and there are issues that are, are deep-seated ones that you don't have the answer for. He's the comforter that comes alongside. Oh, we like, the, we like it on a, cold, on a cold morning to uh, wrap a comforter around us, don't we? It's nice uh, until, the, until the fireplace gets warmed up, uh, you know, enough and, until the heater comes on. It's nice to have a thick blanket there to wrap up in. They call it a comforter because it does something for you when you wrap it around you on a cold day. And the Holy Spirit of God wraps himself around you. And the cold winds of the world are blowing and, the, uh, and tribulations are tough and times are hard and you got the bad news. Uh, it's wonderful to have the Holy Spirit wrap his arms around you as the comforter, the comforter. Job had some friends come over. They were going to comfort him, you know. They were going to be a blessing to him, you know. He's suffering so deeply and head-to-toe boils, sitting out on a pile of ashes, scraping the pus out of his boils with a pot shirt, you know, sitting there scraping away, miserable, his uh, tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth, uh, uh, all all of his family forsaken him. He lost his children. His wife's ready to, to give it up. And here comes his comforters, you know, here comes his friends to comfort him. Uh, what a, what a uh, miserable set of comforters they were. And that's what he said. Miserable comforters are ye all when they were done with him. When they were finished with him, they left uh, nothing but the bones, you know, nothing but the bones. And uh, so um, that kind of comforter we don't need. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a much better friend than that, and he is our comforter. The Holy Spirit's work then, as we read it in verse 8 through 10, is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. It's not our work as Christians to convict people. You know, we're not the judge. We're not the ones that uh, are the prosecuting attorneys. We're, that's none of our work. We don't have to do any of that stuff. You know, it's not up to us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. 
Our part is to get out the word, to just get the word out to people, to tell people, to give them the truth. That's our responsibility. We don't do any of the convicting or the judging of people, you know. Uh, that's, not our, that's not our place. Uh, it's our part to get out the word. And the Holy Spirit's the one that convicts the world, that reproves the world. He convicts the sinner of his sins. And the best way to deal with the guilt complex is to plead guilty. <laughs> that's the best way to get rid of your guilt complex. Just plead guilty because you are. Uh, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the one that convicts us as sinners. He convicts us. He convinces us of our condition. He shows the sinner the exceeding sinfulness of sin. How does he do that? He says of sin of righteousness, of judgment to come. He shows the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he contrasts your and my sinfulness, and he shows the great gulf between those two positions. So these, uh, these truths convict us of how far we are from uh, the truth. You know, we, we, we can get out in a mud puddle and get into a mess and get our clothes all muddy and get ourselves all dirty and and, you know, we can be in the pig pen for a while and be all stinky and dirty. But if everybody else around us is all stinky and dirty and muddy, too, we don't notice it so much. But then when we're invited to um, come into the uh, mansion and we come into the house and everybody's prim and proper and dressed up in white shirts and, you know, and their best, their best uh, suit of clothes and so forth. And the meal is spread out and we come out of the, you know, we come out of the hog pen and come into there into the house and. And all of a sudden, we look at ourselves and we see how excessively and exceedingly dirty and stinky we are when we're in the mansion among all the delicate ones, among all the individuals that uh, are, are all dressed and clean and proper and ready for the banquet. And we realize then we're, uh, we're out of place. And the Holy Spirit uh, does that for us. He helps us to recognize that there's a great contrast between what we are and what we ought to be. And so um, the Spirit of God does that work of, of judgment. We, hum we humans need to get to the place where we can see ourselves as God sees us rather than seeing ourselves as Facebook sees us. You know? um, we, we need that. Uh, we, we, have, uh, you know, we have control over what we put on Facebook, and we want to put our best foot forward. You, know? you don't get up in the morning, and you're disheveled, and you're messed up, and you don't have anything uh, you know, together. And, and you just look a fright, you know, and uh, you don't get up in the morning and then take a selfie and, and put, post it on Facebook and says, start a beautiful day, you know. <laughs> so, you scare the rest of us to death, you know. So, don't do that. We're glad you, glad you put some effort into making yourself presentable this morning before you came. But uh, well, we, we look at ourselves like we picture ourselves on Facebook. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, you know. And so the Holy Spirit's the one who has to do that to get us to the place where uh, we see ourselves like we really are. If you've read the picture of Dorian Gray, that's the theme of that. Dorian makes a deal with the devil to have a young, attractive, beautiful appearance uh, all of his days of his life, but it, there's an image of him up in an attic somewhere that's, that as he goes deeper and deeper in sin, the, the picture of Dorian Gray is turning, uh, is representing what his heart really looks like, what his face really looks like, what he really is. And uh, that picture of Dorian Gray gets more and more hideous as every day goes by. But Dorian enjoys life. He's having a good time uh, with uh, all of the pleasures that the world has to offer. And nothing affects him. His health, his life, his countenance, his beauty is retained. But the picture of Dorian Gray is continuously changing. And the day comes where he has to face 
that he is what that picture represents. So it is with us. Day needs to come where you realize that you are what the picture of Dorian Gray represents. It's an image that none of us wants to see, but the Holy Spirit brings that conviction, helps us to see ourselves, not as we would like ourselves to, to be seen, but as we really are. So he reveals to the sinner that truth, and then he reveals to the lost uh, soul that judgment to come of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. But he points them in the same moment as he reveals the judgment to come, he points them to the deliverer from that judgment. He points them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law. The law condemns us. The law judges us. The law tells us we're lawbreakers. The law tells us we're guilty. But then the law says, but I've got one that can help you. And he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the judgment, who took the judgment upon himself for us, who made himself sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yes, indeed. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The judgment begins, he says, on the prince of this world, and then it follows that all who follow the prince of this world are to be judged as well. But the good news is that you can be translated out of the kingdom of that prince into the kingdom of the prince of life, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our uh, he's our convictor. He's the one that convicts us, convinces us. He works that way in us as Christians too. He convicts us when we are wrong, when we uh, are filled with pride and self-will. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work of convicting, convincing us through his word and through his, uh, uh, through his impressions upon our heart and his bringing to remembrance the truths that we have heard already. It's the Holy Spirit that does that convicting work in the life of the Christian to draw you back to where you and I need to be. He is our convictor. Then he's our counsel, our guide into the truth. Verse 13 says it this way, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So he's our counsel and our guide into the truth. Those who take the Holy, uh, those that take the Bible and read the Bible without having the Holy Spirit eventually end up doing what 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 said they will do. They eventually end up resting the scriptures, wrestling the scriptures to their own destruction. They take the scriptures and twist them and turn them because they have not the guide, the counsel, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. You can't do much with the Bible other than read enough to be convicted that you need Christ. Um, you can't do much else with the Bible if you don't have the author of the scriptures indwelling you. And so he is the one that guides us into all truth. He knows all the truth, not just the part. Years ago in April of 1991, uh, it was April 25th, my friend Ed Burke and Sally, they were members of the church at that time. Ed and Sally Burke both worked on the space shuttle program, and they had both been involved in the development and the building of the space shuttle Endeavor, which is now over in Los Angeles. It's retired now. I'll show you how old I am. I, I was there when it rolled out. <laughs> so, uh, and it's been retired for five years now. It's 10 years. <laughs> but... Uh, we got to be there when and I got to go to the rollout of the Endeavor. And we got to go to Rockwell there in uh, Palmdale and uh, see the 
first time it was pulled out and uh, ready to be transported to the launching pad and so forth. And um, I asked Ed at that time, I said, it's, uh, you know, they were explaining the complexities of it and so forth. And I said, Ed, is there anybody that knows all of the functions of the space shuttle from beginning to end? He said, no, there's nobody, nobody like that. Nobody that knows all the purpose of all the parts and all the pieces and what they do and everything. There's nobody, nobody like that. We don't need that. He said, we all know our part and we all know what our part does and we all have uh, those parts working together. He says, we, know, we have people that know how to connect all the parts and make the whole work, but we, there's no one that can explain every detail of every uh, working function of this, of this craft. And so I thought, uh, you know, how, how true that is of everything. Uh, but it's not so with the Holy Spirit. He knows all the parts. And he knows all their functions. He knows all things. He knows all truth. He's not, he doesn't have uh, any blank spots in his, um, in his memory. <laughs> he knows all truth. And thank God for that. Uh, he knows all the word. And he knows every need that we have. And he knows what word will meet that need at the time in any situation. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. We need not be overcome by the troubles of the world again because we have the promise of seeing our Savior, as he said on down there. He said, a little while, you're not going to see me. In a little while, you're going to see me again. And he talked to them about the fact he was going to be killed and buried and that he would rise again. In a little while, it would be, uh, they would see him again. But for us, it's true also it's been a little while. We haven't seen him. He's not been on the earth for a little while, but he is coming again. And um, just a little while, it doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem that it's a short while, but in the measurement of eternity, it is a brief time. Just a little while, he said. He said to them, just a little while, and your sorrow will be turned to joy, and there will be a joy that you will be given that no man will ever be ta able to take away from you. He told that to the disciples then. And I want to tell you the promise holds just as true today. He uh, will give you, as a child of God, a, a joy that no man can take. All you got to do is have it, claim it, accept it, enjoy it. He has that for you, and he is giving that to you, and he wants us to live that way. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So uh, there's that joy, and you can claim it today, and you can have it for keeps. Uh, you, you can have it regardless of what the news is, what the circumstances are, who's in the office of the presidency, you know, doesn't matter because you can have that joy no matter who it is or where it is or where you are. A joy that no man can take from you. No man taketh from you, he says. And so we've got, we've got that. We have the love of God. We have the Savior who has overcome the world. And so he tells us, be of good cheer. Becoming a Christian and following Jesus is not about escaping trouble and getting more stuff. You know, there's a lot of a lot of folks that seem to be caught up with, man, uh, I'm just going to claim what the Lord has for me and get more stuff. You know, I saw a post of a of a pastor that was talking about how God has all these things for you and you just need to. Uh, you just need to, you know, you just need to reach out and claim them and grab them and you can have all this stuff and you can have things and you can have things and you can have things. And I'm thinking, did the guy read, did the guy read the gospels? Did the guy read what Jesus had? Uh, had not where to lay my head, he said. 
did the guy read that when he was putting this post together and talking to his people about, you know, just claim this stuff and you can have these things and you can, I have this good life and I'm enjoying this and I got these things and, you know, God's doing so many wonderful things for me and I'm getting all these things and, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. If, if being a Christian following Jesus is about getting more stuff, then we've missed something here. We've missed something here because the people that have the most stuff still are trying to get more stuff, you know, and it doesn't seem like all the stuff they got, they have. You ever watch that program, Hoarders? <laughs> Hoarders, isn't that frustrating? Isn't that a frustrating program? Well, people get stuff, and it's not good enough for them. They've got to have more stuff, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, one, one, uh, one can of beans is enough. They need a, a case of beans, <laughs> even if they don't like beans, <laughs> so, uh, and we're like that, you know, uh, stuff, stuff, more stuff, but Following Christ is not about escaping tr trouble and getting more stuff. If you want to escape uh, trouble, you know, be, becoming a Christian isn't probably the best thing for you. Uh, because uh, you'll, you'll actually have less trouble from the world if you don't become a Christian, okay? If you're looking for less trouble from the world and the flesh and the devil, then don't be a Christian. <laughs> but uh, uh, if, if you want access to joy and peace that com and comfort that has nothing to do with stuff then you, you've come to the right place in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can lose everything, and we can lose all the stuff, and we can have all kinds of trouble, but we can still have joy and fullness of joy, and we can be of good cheer. So the Holy Spirit does convicting work. He's doing probably some of that now in some hearts right now. The Holy Spirit does convicting work. He does comforting work. He's doing that probably in the hearts of some right now, comforting you in the time of need that you have com uh, need comfort. And he's doing the guiding work right now through his word and his Holy Spirit. He's guiding you uh, in some hearts right now. He's doing some guiding. He's doing some convicting. He's doing some comforting. He's doing these things right now in the hearts of believers and in the lives of those that don't yet know him personally. And so let me encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading. All my part is just to give you what is here, you know, just to tell you again and preach it again. And uh, that's all my part is. I, I can't convict you, convince you. I can't, you know, I don't have the uh, capabilities and the pulpit manner to be able to invoke conviction and and uh, correction and uh, response from you but the Holy Spirit does that which we feeble preachers cannot do he does all those things that we've talked about today and his Holy Spirit is at work just now so let's stand together and give uh, him the opportunity to uh, uh, allow us to respond to what God is uh, doing in our hearts if you're here and you haven't yet received the uh, confidence that you have a personal relationship with Christ. You're not sure about that at all, and you can't really identify a sense that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you because you don't know for sure if there's been a time, a place where you, in repentance and faith, trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You might be religious, you might be a good person, you might be a church member. All those things may be so, but you looking at your life, your heart, you can't, you, can, you can't really see back to a time when you know, hey, this is when I was born again. This is where I received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. At this point in time 
He came in. I trusted him as my savior. I was born again. My sins were forgiven. If there isn't that confidence in your heart just now, I uh, pray that you'll come and respond and receive him as your savior. We're going to have a word of prayer and some Christians will be coming. And if you uh, are uh, convicted that you don't know that peace and that aren't sure that you have that Holy Spirit indwelling you, you come and we will uh, have someone show you out of the Bible how to call on the Lord and how to know you're saved and born again, how to know that you do have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. We want to encourage you to uh, take that step of faith today if you haven't yet. Then if you're a Christian already, God's Holy Spirit does work in our hearts all the time and so he's doing that now. You need to just respond as he leads you as we pray. Father, we ask your blessing on those that are saved here. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for filling us with your spirit, helping us to live by your book. We pray that, Lord, at all the ways we fail and all the times we stumble, that you'd help us to, by your Holy Spirit, to get back where we need to be. I pray, dear Lord, for Christians. I pray you'd help us respond like you want us to. And I pray for those that are here that haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, don't know for sure if they died, go to heaven. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them, help us to be a blessing to them by showing them the way someone showed us. And God, I pray that you'd save souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. And while we uh, uh, sing this